0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Icon Church Leadership Podcast. My name is Alona. I'm the Operations Director at Icon, and I'm here with Justin Anderson, our lead pastor. We are back in Season 2 on Relational Practices. Again, if you've missed any of the previous episodes, I encourage you to go back and listen. We are following our sermon series on a rule for life finding peace in an anxious world. So this week we're digging into another spiritual practice and this time talking about the fact that peace needs a rhythm, fasting and feasting. So Justin, talk to us a little bit about why that rhythm is so important.
1: Yeah. Uh, So we we name this this idea of fasting, feasting a rhythm because I think without regular practice, a regular rhythm of both fasting and feasting, Mm -hmm. what happens when we don't do that is we get into this kind of uh, this this flat line of regular life where we don't experience the peaks and the valleys. We just kind of experience a monotonous, ongoing, endless timeline of normal right? Super fun. Yeah, it's it's very depressing. Um, but when uh, we follow this practice of fasting and feasting and the rhythm of it, we, we get these peaks in these valleys, right, where we understand what it's like uh, to feel hunger and, and uh, experience kind of the limits of what this physical world can bring to us. Mm-hmm. And it allows us to see the heights of experience and to really be thankful uh, for what God's provided for us. Mm-hmm. So um, having that regular rhythm, and that's the other piece of it is um, we do believe that fasting in particular is something we should be doing regularly, right? That it should be a normal part of mm-hmm. our lives. Jesus said, when you fast, we're going to talk more about that in a moment, but there's an, an implicit assumption that we will be fasting. Yeah. And and what pairs with fasting is feasting. And so um, we we think that that kind of breaks up the monotony of life in a really helpful way. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and so you kind of mentioned that there is a huge biblical context and the context in church history for fasting, and we today are going to talk specifically about fasting from food in yeah. particular. Uh, but as we look at that, there's huge biblical precedent for that, that throughout the, the Old Testament, constantly the people are being called to fast and that we see again, Jesus talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, like when you fast, with the, insu- the assumption is you're doing it, it's a regular habit and a practice. Uh, and then entire church traditions commit to seasons of fasting. So thinking about the process of Lent is an intentional fast that prepares us again for something outside of ourself. And that's a practice that is very common in church history and in the past but not really something that's common today.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those uh, spiritual practices that runs really countercultural to some of the ethos of what we hear all around us about consumption, yeah. right? We're we're told that, you know, we shouldn't deprive ourselves of anything that any desire we have, we we deserve to have met, right? Mm-hmm. And so fasting in that sense of like an intentional deprivation of a desire, um, and in, in the case of food, a, r- a very real need, mm-hmm. right? We're not just depriving of our, ourselves of luxuries, but depriving ourselves on purpose uh, of, of some of the most basic building blocks of, of our survival. So this runs really countercultural, and I think that makes it all the more potent. Um, so we uh, just read in our book club, a book called The Benedict Option by Rod Dreher, and he speaks to this idea, so I wanna read this quote. He says, all serious believers must engage in periods of asceticism. They teach us to rid ourselves of accumulated distractions that keep our eyes from seeing our goal. When we abstain from practices that disorder our loves, and in that time of fasting redouble our contemplation of God and the good things of creation, we recenter our minds on the inner stability we need to create a coherent Meaningful self. Now, that's a lot. That's big. There's a lot of big words in there, uh, but I think he makes a great point to say when we when we take this time uh, to to pursue asceticism, when we pursue a retreat from our normal lives and a lot of the things that are in our lives that, uh, in his words, disorder our loves. The phrase that James K. A. Smith uses in his book "You Are What You Love," mm-hmm. which I think is a really helpful way to think about um, our hearts, yeah. is. Like our heart's righteousness and, and the, the kind of the right ordering of our hearts is what pursuit of God is. And so when there's things in our lives, even things that are good things, created things given to us by God for our consumption and enjoyment, um, when they have a place in our lives that can disorder our loves and reorder our loves in a way that that makes us pursue things that aren't God, um, then then having seasons where we pull them completely out of our lives allows us to then address them kind of on, on God's terms and yeah. so go, okay, what place does this have in my life now mm-hmm. that I'm trying to reintroduce it into my life, right? Mm-hmm. Again, the, that kind of monotonous ongoing unthinking life of just like, yeah, this is what I do. I eat mm-hmm. these things or I do these things or I look at these things without really thinking about it, uh, fasting from them causes us to have to think well about, okay, how much food do I actually need and when do I actually need to eat and when am I eating, Mm -hmm. right? For me, all the time.
0: Super fun. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about then, again, the rhythm of fasting and feasting. What does that kind of imply in terms of what we need and the tensions that that might create for us?
1: Yeah. So, specifically with food, this is what I want us to focus on. Uh, and, and we'll talk more about why here in a moment. But um, with food, it, it reminds us that God has given us this created world for our good. And, you know, at the end of creation, God said, this is good. This is really good. Um, and at the very same time, it does not ultimately satisfy us, yeah. right? So that's the creep of created things. The creep of created things is to say, I can do more. I can do more. I can do more. I can do. I can satisfy you more. I can mm-hmm. satisfy you more. I can do that little extra thing, and we believe more and believe more and believe more that it can satisfy. That one more, you know, purchased thing, one more, uh, you know, item of clothing, or one more helping of food, or one more whatever. Is going to satisfy that thing in us that will never be satisfied outside of God. So, fasting and feasting paired together, that rhythm um, allows us to say, no, there are limits yeah. to what God's created world was ever intended to do for us, and it also is something to be, uh, you know, enjoyed and, and yeah. that was given to us for our good. So. That rhythm allows us to say both of those things at the same time, um, uh, but not, uh, not ever one or the other completely. Not to just completely throw away the things of this world and go, it's all evil, which would not be you know, what God's taught us at all. Or to over-rely on those things, right? So Jesus says after, after coming out of a time of fasting, like man does not live on bread alone, mm-hmm. and that's true. But we do still need bread. Yeah. Gluten free bread in my case. But bread nonetheless. Casey sourdough. <laughs> oh. Uh, so we, we do need these things and yet they will never ultimately satisfy. And that's, that's really important. So there's, there's a relational piece that, you know, the, we talked about in the sermon where fasting, the whole point of fasting is to orient our hearts towards God. Mm -hmm. There's this formational piece, something that happens within us where we go, okay, I'm, I'm being reminded of the limits of, of how much this thing can actually Mm -hmm. satisfy me. And, and I'm being made aware of how much I'm, you know, whenever I've fasted for long periods of time from food, the biggest my biggest takeaway is how often I eat, and and how I eat out of boredom, and I eat out of like you know emotion. I eat my feelings, and uh, Just like that. yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, you know when you can't eat anything, you realize like oh I, I I'm reaching for that right yeah. now, and so mm-hmm. that has a real formational effect on your heart there's also a missional aspect to fasting that we don't often think about mm-hmm. because the one thing the Bible says about fasting with other, and, and other people is kind of don't let them know about yeah. it, right? Like don't be all forlorn and, and ill-kept when you <laughs> fast like, uh, you know, all the time because like to draw attention to your fasting. Yeah. Don't make that face, mostly yeah, is what terrible Jesus face. says. <laughs> um, but, but also like, but there is a missional aspect to yes, it. So talk absolutely. about that.
0: Yeah, and again, within the rhythm. So I think when we think about fasting and what we give up, I think the missional aspect is to think about what do I give up for the sake of my neighbor? And so I think there's two sides of that. There's one that fasting and me stopping my consumption creates more just in general. Like I think fasting can highlight for us our own greedy acquisition and the way that I might take more than I really should. Like to your point of like, it exposes how much I eat. And if we think again, kind of on a global scale of just like how much we consume and that me refusing to do that for a period of time is what creates more for others. Like it's a a way that we invite others into that space. Uh, And I would say, again, in that time of like when I've chosen to deny myself, how can I then give to others what I have chosen not to eat? So that might be literally food that I might give to another, but to also even think about like the money that I would spend on that food. So if I'm gonna choose to do a fast for a certain amount of time and the money I'm therefore not spending, on groceries or what it is, what could I do with that money to missionally, again, care for my neighbor, support my neighbor, Mm -hmm. uh, and be able to give out of that? Um, and I think on the flip side of the feasting, the abundance, I think maybe this is weird in in light of COVID, like how do we bring people together around a table, but mm-hmm. maybe to kind of create some of that hopeful anticipation of the moment when we're gathered with other people and we get to feast, we've we've remembered the the tension of fasting yeah. uh, and then get that moment of joy and celebration with other people where we gather around a table and are able to feast. And I think that's a great moment to think about loving our neighbor and in particular, welcoming in the stranger. Like it's one thing to feast Mm -hmm. when you invite all of your best friends and you have a great time. It's another thing to feast when you invite in the stranger who maybe isn't gonna invite you to their house in response and isn't really gonna be able to come and contribute in the way that maybe your good buddies would. But to notice that that's an opportunity to missionally love your neighbor as well, is to gather with them around a table, to feast together, to enjoy, to celebrate and use that as a moment of love.
1: Yeah, because uh, Zoom feasting sounds terrible.
0: Yeah, it's not a thing. So let's wait for that
1: to end. Uh, yeah, I love that idea of inviting people that are not going to, you know, maybe uh, maybe bring the party themselves, sure. right? Like that. That I, I always think about this whenever we do church potlucks, uh, and uh, all the single guys bring chips and salsa, every time, <laughs> uh, and that's all that apparently know how to bring. Uh, that uh, I mean, at
0: least uh, chips and bean dip. Come on, yeah, <laughs> mixed it up, bro. Uh,
1: but I do think about that. Like, you know, let's like let's. Let's feast with those who don't know how to feast, and teach them yeah. partly, you know, like what what this rhythm of fasting, feasting, uh, might look like. So let's talk about how we how we do this and yeah. get practical with this stuff. I want to focus on fasting from food, and mm-hmm. and there's a I, I have experienced in my kind of young life. I'm still very young
0: uh, <laughs>
1: that. Um, it's become kind of hip to fast from technology or fast from you know, other things that aren't food. Mm-hmm. And, and that's all well and good. I, I, don't, I don't care about that, really. It's fine. But I will say this. That the Bible always talks about fasting from food. It never talks about fasting from anything else. And they had other things, right? Like there's never a time where Jesus fasted from using his camel or, (laughs) you know, Mary didn't use the loom and only crocheted for 40 days or something like that. Like there was technology back then and they never fasted from it. So that's a real point. That's that's
0: good. Write that down, people.
1: (laughs) So, but the point is like the biblical idea of fasting is all about food. It's always about food. And, and, I think sometimes it can be a little bit of a cop-out for us to go like, hey, I'm fasting from Instagram or I'm fasting from social media, or, I'm fasting from whatever. It's like, okay, like sure, that's, that's fine. But fast from food? and you will experience a real difference uh, between those things. And so I wanna challenge us to fast from food and, and food specifically, because not just because it's a biblical and not because, you know, I, I, honestly, because I think it gets at that, like that real spiritual hunger, the the body and soul and heart together, like yeah. it taps into something uh, at a much deeper level than, than everything else does. So. I want to talk about some specific fasts in the Bible that we see. Mm-hmm. Um, one is what what they call the absolute fast, and that's everything—no food, yep. no water, nothing. And for the most part, in the Bible, that doesn't happen for more than three days. And I think that's smart because you'll die. And, <laughs> yes. and just uh,
0: kind of like a basic human need. Yeah, thing. and we're
1: trying to grow as a church, and so if y'all start dying, That'll that'd be, be really bad. That'd be bad. So let's not do that. Um, So there are two times where there was absolute fast for 40 days, but those are clearly like supernatural kinds of things. Um, But for the most part, those absolute fasts are are three days max. And, And again, the disclaimer on all of this is if you have some sort of medical condition that prevents you from fasting from food, don't don't fast from food. Okay, it's that don't. Yeah, don't do that. Um, but if you can, I think you should. So one is the absolute. Second is the normal fast, which is the vast majority of the time that the Bible talks about fast, which is um, no food and only water for you know, a significant amount of time. And I, and I think that, that's a really hard way to do it. Um, but I also think it, it has great, great power to mm-hmm. it. And then um, lastly, the partial fast, um, which you see uh, occasionally in the scriptures where um, people fast from meat and wine like Daniel did, where he only ate vegetables and water. Uh, or later, in I think it's Daniel 10, talks about how he refrained from eating kind of the delicacies of the king's table and wine. Um, so there, there's ways in which we can do it. But I think um, uh, really severely limiting the amount of food we, we uh, take in for a long time uh, for more than just one meal or something like that has a real transformative effect. And at the risk of uh, you know being the guy who talks about the fasting he's done, I'm going to talk about some of the fasting I've done. Um, I have done two 40-day fasts where they were liquid-only fasts, no, no solid food. I permitted myself one protein shake a week. Otherwise, it was juice and soup broth. I did it twice. And and I would say it was two of the most important 40 day seasons of my life. The first one was the first 40 days of dating uh, my now wife, Emily, which was one, looking back, kind of a dramatic way to start a relationship.
0: Puts a <laughs> Understatement bit of, of the Puts a details. bit of
1: pressure on it. Uh, but guys, it worked. I
0: would say no to We're that. We're married now.
1: <laughs> Side benefit, saved a lot of date money in that first 40 days. So that was great. Uh, That's pro
0: tip right there. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I knew that this was something unique and special and so we did, I, I did that 40 day fast. I also did 40 day fast the first 40 days of the year I was graduating from college because that was going to be obviously college graduation, new career, new life and all of that, mm-hmm. did that. And, and I would say it, it was in both cases really, really transformative for me, really important time mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and I would say practically like prepare prepare for those fasts physically, like do a little fasts leading up to it. You know, do three days, then do seven days, and then do, uh, you know, a longer thing if that's what you're going to do. But I would really take seriously why or how you're going to do this because it is a biblical Uh, assumption Mm -hmm. that we are going to be fasting. So one of the things that uh, I think we need to hit briefly, because we talk about this in the sermon quite a bit, is the why behind it. And will you speak to some of the why behind good fasting?
0: Yeah, I think it all comes down to our heart motive. And again, asking ourselves the question of why we're doing it. And we've talked a ton in this series that all of these spiritual disciplines are not for you, they're to form you. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about the fact that it's not about what fasting gives me, It's about what fasting does to me so that I can love God and love people in the way that God intended. Uh, And I think it really exposes for us those heart motives. And so I think in particular with food, I think a lot of people, oftentimes even push back against food because they sense that, that motive of like, oh, they're just fasting to lose weight or something like that. Yeah. And to apply for ourselves that question of, why am I doing this and what is that fasting hopefully gonna expose in me and help kind of form out of me as I, as I do it. And for me, this became really clear. One of the decisions that I made in Fasting for Lent was giving up coffee. And mm-hmm. the big motivation for that was, I noticed uh, in myself again, like that idea of like, it exposes what we reach for and why and noticing like, oh, I reach for that cup of coffee because I'm trying to uh, extend my level of energy throughout a day because I'm maybe living outside of my means for healthy balance and rest. And so choosing to not do that every time I was tired or whatever exposed for me. The, The need that I placed on that object and instead in that moment pulled me aside and said, okay, like pray through that. Like pray through like, God, you are my sustainer, not the cup of coffee. Like You are the one who energizes me and compels me to work, not this thing that I'm consuming. And it became that moment of, again, exposing the heart motive of why I lean on that thing, why I desire that thing. And transformed it in an opportunity to pray, and then again, transforming me into a person who is better able to rely on God, and therefore love love others in a in a way that is fueled by God and not by me.
1: Yeah, and I'll say this: if you're thinking about fasting, you know, like a longer fast to lose weight, uh, it won't work. I mean, you'll lose weight. I lost like 25 pounds when I did did the fast, but it's so hard, mentally, emotionally, yeah. spiritually, physically, mm-hmm. that if that's your motive, it won't you won't make it. I mean, you have to have a, a deeper and more significant why in order to really be able to enter into a lengthy fast. So I would say this, in preparation, make a plan. Make a plan to fast for one day, make a plan to fast for three days, make a plan to fast for seven days, And then if you want to do something beyond that, do. And and come talk to me. I would love to talk to you about my experience with that. But but make a plan to do that on a regular rhythm of fasting and then the backside of it, feasting. It's great. When you've fasted for 40 days, uh, the feast is uh, a little bit of a slow roll because you can basically just get vegetables down for those first couple of days. But man, like a week later, big steak dinner. It's great, it's totally worth it.
0: All right, so as we say each and every week, we would encourage you to take the next step. Like figure out where you are, begin where you are, uh, but then take the next step. So make that plan and figure it out. Like, what are the healthy rhythms that you have moving forward? Uh, and we're super glad that you would tune in with us this week. We would encourage you that if you haven't yet, go to iconchurchorg slash rule for life and download our, our template there. It'll help you think through some of these practices to begin applying which one of those might be fasting and feasting. And take advantage of that to help you think through what it looks like to apply this in your own life. Again, we'll be back next week. Check out iconchurch.org slash leadership podcast for more information, show notes, and other episodes. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. To see our show notes and other episodes, head to iconchurch.org slash leadership podcast.